Three times in the New Testament book of Acts, the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is repeated. The first appearance of the story is in chapter 9, where the details are first given. But then twice, many years after the event actually happened, Saul tells the story himself. First in chapter 22, when he defended himself in Jerusalem before religious leaders that were zealously trying to kill him. And then again in chapter 26, while presenting his case before the Jewish king Agrippa and the Roman provincial officer Festus in the coastal city of Caesarea in Israel. Saul, or Paul's conversion, is a turning point in the early Christian narrative. Saul was a persecutor of the early Christians. He caused great havoc in the early church until his radical conversion. He went from ardent hater of the followers of the way, as it was called, to one of their most passionate preachers. When speaking of his conversion and transformation, the word radical is really the right word to use. And what I have always found interesting about the story of Saul in his conversion is that in all likelihood, right up until the time that he was radically transformed on the road to Damascus, while he had in his hand letters granting him the authority of the chief priest to continue his persecution of Christians, the early church was probably praying for Saul that he would die. I'm probably wrong, but if you were a Christian in the early church in Jerusalem or Judea, doing your best to try to hide from Saul as he arrested, tried, and in some cases oversaw the deaths of Christian martyrs, do you really think that you would have expected that Saul would become a Christian himself? If someone had predicted, if they had told you that Saul was going to become a Christian and then become a preacher, a missionary, a church planter, and an apostle, I don't think there is any way that you would have believed it. Would you really have had the faith to pray for the salvation of Saul? Or would you rather have been tempted to pray one of those imprecatory prayers from the Psalms, a prayer of judgment, a prayer of vindication? Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrath and anger take hold of them. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let their days be few. Let their children be fatherless. Let their wives be widows. Let the creditor seize all that they have. Let no one extend mercy to them. All of that's in the Bible. And I can only imagine that there were some within the early church that were probably praying those kind of things as they considered Saul of Tarsus and his rabid rage against the church. And in one way, their prayers were answered. For all intents and purposes, Saul of Tarsus died on the road outside of Damascus at some point in the mid-30s AD. And when Saul died, Paul the Apostle was born. Or we could say he was born again. And that's the story that Saul, or Paul, told for the rest of his life, everywhere he went. He would tell the story, well, I was occupied in persecuting the church, exceedingly enraged against them. I saw a bright light from heaven, brighter than the sun, and I fell on the ground and a voice came from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when I asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
and Saul was radically transformed. So why do I bring all of this up? Because there are people that you don't like, people you feel persecuted by, people that we, if we were entirely honest, might wish harm upon them. Maybe we'd pray, God, break their teeth in their mouth. But Jesus told his followers years before Saul of Tarsus rose up against them, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. For years, I read that last word there from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect, as if it were a command. But the words there are not a command from Jesus. They are words indicating the path towards maturity, wholeness, and completeness. What does it look like to be wholly mature, to be like God? Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those that persecute you. Maybe pray, God, save the Sauls that we disdain. Something to think about. We'll see you next time.